Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 19th of August 2022. Here's the news. Advanced, a Birmingham-based organisation that supplies digital services to the NHS, disclosed on the 10th of August that it suffered a ransomware attack earlier this month. According to The Guardian, the services that Advanced provides include Adastra, which helps 111 call handlers dispatch ambulances and helps doctors access a patient's GP records, CareNotes, which is used by mental health trusts for patient records, CareSys, which is used in care homes, CrossCare, which helps run hospices, and StaffPlan, used by care organisations. Advanced confirms that of its services, the customer groups impacted either directly or indirectly are Adastra, CareSys, Odyssey, CareNotes, CrossCare, StaffPlan and eFinancials. All other products are unaffected. It stressed that there's nothing to suggest that its customers are at risk of malware spread and that it's rebuilding and restoring affected systems, having contained the issue to a small number of servers. The full extent of the damage is yet to be assessed, but Advanced reassures customers that when it has more information about potential data access or exfiltration, it'll update customers as appropriate. So far, it seems to be handling the incident in an exemplary manner, which will come as a great relief to all of us who rely on the NHS, especially as we recall the chaos caused by the 2017 WannaCry ransomware attack. Hopefully, thanks to a timely and focused response, Advanced will be able to return to business as usual soon. This is, of course, only one of many cyber attacks that the health and social care sector has to contend with. Recent analysis by the vulnerability management provider Armis shows that attacks on the NHS have soared since the Russian invasion of Ukraine began, especially after Boris Johnson's visit to Kyiv to show his support for President Zelensky in April. According to Armis, suspicious activity affecting NHS trusts, including exploit attempts, drive-by attacks, port scans and connections to the dark web, has risen 80% since April. Meanwhile, trusts' ability to defend themselves against attackers remained unchanged, with many trusts still lacking the necessary resources to keep both themselves and patient data secure, a situation that will only continue to worsen as inflation soars and real-term funding drops. And the NHS obviously isn't the only organisation to have come under increased levels of cyber attack since Vladimir Putin launched his attempted invasion of Ukraine in January. The Cyber Peace Institute, a non-governmental organisation based in Geneva, has documented more than 300 cyber attacks and operations affecting 27 countries, tied to 36 threat actors associated with the Russia-Ukraine war. In such times of heightened cyber threat, as the UK's National Cyber Security Centre warns, it's essential to ensure your online defences are as robust as possible. Finally, I promised last time that I'd provide a brief overview of the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill's main proposals, ahead of its second reading in the Commons on the 5th of September, when it's due to be debated by MPs. There are lots of relatively minor terminological changes, for instance, the appropriate technical and organisational measures that data controllers must implement to protect the personal data they process become appropriate measures including technical and organisational measures, but the main points of contention are the following. First, the bill limits the definition of personal data. Whereas the GDPR defines personal data as any information relating to an identified or identifiable natural person or data subject, the bill restricts the scope of personal data to information that makes a living individual identifiable by a controller or processor by reasonable means at the time of their processing, and identifiable by reasonable means by anyone else that the controller or processor knows or ought reasonably to know will or is likely to obtain the information as a result of the controller or processor's processing. Second, the bill amends the requirement to fulfil data subject access requests, enabling organisations to refuse them when they're vexatious or excessive, rather than if they're manifestly unfounded or excessive, as stipulated by the GDPR. 
Third, the bill removes the requirement for UK representatives for controllers outside the UK. Fourth, the bill proposes removing the need for data protection officers, replacing them with senior responsible individuals who are part of the organisation's senior management. Given that data protection officers under the GDPR must be independent, indeed the regulation allows organisations to outsource the role to avoid any conflict of interest, this is one of the most significant divergences from the GDPR, even if the bill does stipulate that the controller or processor mustn't dismiss or penalise its senior responsible individual for performing their tasks. Indeed, in practical terms, this might mean that many organisations that are also bound by the EU GDPR will therefore have to have a senior responsible individual and an outsourced EU GDPR compliance data protection officer, essentially performing the same tasks. Fifth, Schedule 5 of the bill sets out a risk-based approach to international transfers of personal data, making it easier for the government to issue adequacy decisions if the third country or international organisation meets the requirements of a data protection test and the standard of the protection they provide personal data is not materially lower than that afforded by the UK's data protection laws. There are also further provisions relating to international transfers that rely on appropriate safeguards, such as standard contractual clauses. Finally, it's worth stressing that this is the first reading version of the bill, and it's likely to be changed before it reaches the statute books, but we will keep an eye on it and continue to keep you informed. That was the news, and that's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defence in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk. 